0: what's up everybody and welcome to the show today's guest has worked on yachts built jeeps is a master woodworker and i know because he made our first set of cornhole boards he is also well read bottom line he is a man's man this dude is also an air force veteran who was a flight mechanic and an air traffic controller overall he's just a good dude and a super smart dude as well everybody give it up for brian belford Hey, what's up, man? What's up, man? I heard you clear your throat. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> How yeah, you doing? Like
1: said, a bit nervous, but oh, good, good, good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You? Uh, not too bad, man. We're uh, weathering yeah, a storm yeah. over here, so.
1: Sure. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, if yeah, I, I lose watching. power
0: in the middle of this, and I'll have to go save the family, man. So hopefully we don't get okay. cut short.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, for sure. I've been watching, uh, I've been watching the match on on TV, the Tiger Phil thing, and uh, man, they've been playing in, in just a downpour all day. Yeah. but uh yeah man
0: (laughs) how how do you say your last name belford
1: yeah uh belford yeah belford all
0: right cool i'm such a bad host i should have known that
1: oh you're good you're good good.
0: (laughs) but we're we're, we're facebook friends so naturally we're we're like close as can be right oh oh, for sure for sure yeah
1: that's 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 definitely how that works you know yeah
0: All right, man. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Tell Me Something podcast. I'm your host, Cruz Villanueva, uh, and I have a special guest today, Mr. Brian Belford. Uh yep. All right. Welcome to the show, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate
0: a- it. Hey, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Uh, dude, so we were texting back and forth, and uh, all the list of things that you were you sent me that you did, I was like, this dude is a man's man. <laughs> so I <it's> like... <laughs> Tell me, you smoke cigars and drink scotch.
1: Yeah, um, not much of a uh, cigar smoker, per uh, right. se. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm, I've, I've got a lot of hobbies that I think uh, conventionally people would say are, you know, somewhat manly things. But uh, you know, I also you know enjoy the will say the softer side of things, maybe the you know the arts reading you know philosophy stuff like that which which i think up until you know i don't know maybe middle 20th century like that that used to be like part of a manly thing you know men's had men men had a uh, you know instead of game rooms they had studies yeah you know, a sort of you know classical representation of you know your uh maybe aristocratic male yeah um, so
0: what happened yeah, we man. fell off didn't we <laughs>
1: Well, well, you know, I think the values changed. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that happened. I think technology had a lot to do with it. I think, um, you know, as we get in, got into this technology era, we didn't really understand how quickly we would, you know, respond to it and how much it kind of affects our, you know, dopamine systems and drives us to like be attracted towards those things. I mean, we're, we're finding out that, you know, we're obsessed with this blue, blue light contraption that 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 we have on our on our persons at all time and you know we're constantly checking it and i mean it's so crazy man we walk room to room in our house carrying our phones like how how it's how so bad yeah, yeah i feel naked without it man oh for uh, sure for sure yeah. yeah Elon musk talks about how you know we're 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 basically cyborgs already because you know we're, we're, we're so connected to these things yeah but yeah what are your thoughts on it man how do you feel about it about uh all this all this
0: technology that we have? Uh, it's a love-hate relationship, man. Uh, like as, <laughs> right? as much as I love it, I want to get away from it just as bad. Uh, cause I, yeah. uh, I have a bad habit of, of constantly checking my phone for no reason, just other than to check it. And uh, But just having the freedom of not checking anything and just kind of enjoying uh, the present moment um, or just getting out, man. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's, it's so funny. I'll, I'll, I'll talk a bit about the sort of dopamine aspect of it. So, so dopamine is this chemical in your brain that it, it, it's really just there as a goal setting thing. Right. So, yeah. so um, imagine you see like food, you know, you're, you're, you're a primate, you see some food off in the distance, right? You get a shot of dopamine and that encourages you to like be focused on that. And as you get closer and it gets a little bigger, then you get another dopamine, you know, hit. And as you get closer, another dopamine hit, and then when you finally get it, you get this dopamine rush, right? Yeah. The problem with the dopamine is that's super super addictive, right? <laughs> yeah. Um we find that out because because again it's 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 used to get you to accomplish your goals. Yeah. So that's why we you know, there's all these banking executives and these people and these CEOs that, you know, are are, are they may not realize it but there's but they're motivated by the feeling they get with these goals. Yeah. Simon Sinek talks a lot about it. He's a he's a leadership guy. Um that talks a lot awesome. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his uh um, I think it's it's not start with why, it's uh, leaders eat last. Yeah. He talks a lot about this. Um, but you know, again the problem with that is that people will expend all their resources. To get that, and we see that with alcoholics, we see that with drug addicts, because those are all dopamine things. And you know, people are, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well, you know. And um, but you'll be with your, with your partner, or like at a party with a friend, and you'll be checking your phone, engaged in like social media when you're <laughs> in a social medium kind of place. You know, yes. you're there with friends, you're there with your, you know, with other people. So it's such, you know, it's such a difficult thing to manage. But um, we're. <laughs> to some degree powerless to avoid it. And I think the advice that we're getting highlights that because it's like, look, you can't trust yourself to avoid it. So leave your phone at home, you know, put it away, keep it out of reach, you know, keep it away from your bed at night because I think people know that like you're, you're just powerless to stop yourself.
0: Yep. I get pissed off when people pull out their phone and we're in the middle of talking. Uh, But, but I do it myself, just like you said, like, uh...
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's, it's, it's crazy it's so man. crazy yeah
1: yeah you know you go to a restaurant and and there's there's four people at, at a table and four people are on their phones
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? right it's like no interaction so, it's all being done through their phone um yeah yeah i wouldn't doubt it if some of them are talking to each other <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey go check out the meme i just sent you
1: <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> for sure well it's funny uh I introduced my dad to 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 memes on on the phone, and my dad was one of these like chain chain email people who would like send a send a picture, a funny picture, a funny joke to like everybody in his contact list. Yeah, um, I don't know if you remember Joe Cartoon, that I, website. I don't. They had like the gerbil in the microwave thing, and the gerbil was talking trash back to you. It was this animated thing it was it was it was kind of comical, morbid, obviously, but uh, it, it was it was pretty popular in the early two thousands. And so my dad, you know, was all about those things. And and when I showed him memes, oh my goodness, like he (laughs) sent memes all the time. And they're so funny. They're so funny, you know, but it's funny. It's, it's, it's like they're the chain email jokes of, of the modern day.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, I remember when chain emails kind of got big back in the day and, uh, and then after a while, it was just like, oh, stop sending me stuff.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's a. There's an older gentleman that uh, you know. I'm. I'm he's. He's. he's kind of like bought it to me, and 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 he still sends them to me. Um, so I, <laughs> you know, I feel obligated to to, to read them because he's like not letting this antiquated thing die. Which, yeah, you know, whatever. That's his thing. He, he's still going <laughs> off of
0: <a> AOL email.
1: <laughs> Man, AOL. Emails are still a thing.
0: Yeah, um, they are. I've seen them a few times. It's it's weird.
1: Yeah, it's 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 like a relic from the past, man. Yeah, I'm gonna put it's my so brother funny. out there.
0: He still has a, a hotmail. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: I've have still got my my first email address I ever had, and that was that that was at Yahoo. It's a really corny name. I won't get into it. But Yo, same
0: um, here. I have a Yahoo as well, which I still use. And uh, uh, but the one I had before that, the name is just ridiculous and I'll never let it out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's so funny, man. But there but there's a lot of things like that that are that are just kind of relics, man. Um you know, think about this, like you're going to start to see people in the military now that um like they're going to enter at 18 and they never lived like during 9/11. They right. were never alive during during 9/11. It's it's
0: and it's so weird, you know. It is weird. Uh so I'm an instructor and uh not too long ago I asked some of my students I was like how many of y'all remember 911 or how many of y'all were born during 911. Um you know a few of them raised their hands or whatever and the majority of the class they don't like other than reading about it in history books, they don't know about 911. That's just like, ah uh, it's a thing that happened in the past
1: so what challenges do you think that poses man if you're if like so every generation every every group of people that promotes now has to lead somebody you know right so so as these new people come in i mean what what challenges do you think the military faces with that
0: that's oh man that's a good question dude i I don't know man they just uh i guess they have different reasons for being in the military than than we have um Mm -hmm. and i I'll put it out there. I didn't like 9-11 happened and it didn't push me to join the military. Um, But once I was in, it was patriotism was a big deal. Um, And well, the majority of the kids these days, I don't know if they feel the same about the military that we did that we do when Mm -hmm. we joined. Um, They see it more as a, as a stepping stone to the next thing in their life.
1: Look, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people. Um, I tell people all the time, I'm, uh, you know, I love the people that joined for God and country, but I wasn't one of them. Yeah. Um, now I found purpose, you know, when I got in, yeah. you know, and I found where, where it was, it was more than just utility for me. You know, I, I wanted money for school and, um, that was, that was basically, that was basically it. And it's, it was always a handshake deal with me and Uncle Sam, you know, he, he, uh, he needed people to work on planes and, um, so I I decided that uh, you know I could do that if he was willing to pay for my school and you know then I became an air traffic controller and did that until I uh, until I got out this past uh, November so yeah how
0: long were you in for Twelve. Twelve years so they got yeah. you for quite a while yeah
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know man it's it's like I'm not upset about it it's it was one of those things where um I've got these weird moral convictions i guess they're not weird i don't know but um so i got orders to uh honduras to do uh to work in the like special ops dea thing down there that they do for doing atc and it was a one-year remote and so you know i talked to my functional manager and i said look i really don't want to do a year away from the wife like i'll do the extended tour in korea if i could get that you know because i was you know I, i was an e6 that needed a uh um, needed a short tour cause I had retrained into it. And so I had to, it took time for me to get qualified. And then once I got qualified, um, you know, I PCS and then when I PCS, it kind of restarted my time on station. So as soon as that hit, like I would have been gone two years to the date of, uh, getting at, uh, Herlbert field. So, yeah. uh, I, they, they said I couldn't, um, I said, gotcha. Um, well, I need to get out of the way then. Um, so somebody else can can take it and if I'm not willing to do all the things that are necessary for somebody to serve in the air force then I need to kind of get out of the way for somebody else to take that spot and i'll tell you something man it it, it was it was a tough decision because i also got the uh i got the promote now in the unit oh nice you know for E67 so i had that sitting on top and then i had to turn down the orders which means i couldn't promote so
0: but, <laughs> oh man i yeah. bet you pissed some yeah. people off <sighs>
1: You know, I, I I felt bad about it. I mean, I, I I went and talked to talked to my leadership and I apologized and you know I I appreciated the um you know the acknowledgement I guess um uh, which I I guess I earned it. I always feel pretty self-conscious like you know if I do do win an award I always feel kind of guilty about it because there's a stigma in the military. I'm sure you get this where like if you win an award it's probably because you're not doing your job, which is a complete opposite message of what it's
0: yeah award people be. see. it. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he's yeah. just a kiss ass.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. And uh, again, I, Hobart was my favorite assignment, and I had such a such a fantastic uh, you know unit over there, up and down the chain. I mean, everybody was 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 fantastic, and they were people, people, and um, you know, you, they were patient with you. You know, they they kind of gave you the opportunity to kind of challenge you know the sort of thought. Yeah. that was going on and they're always patient enough to, to take the time to explain it. And I think that's just that's so huge. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. You lucked out, man, because uh good leadership, dude, that could make or break an assignment. It, it could even make or break a career. Uh, I've known yeah. a lot of people to get out because they were, they were just tired of their leadership.
1: Well, it's, you know, they say people don't quit jobs, right? They quit managers.
0: Yeah. Oh so, yeah. Yep. That's yeah. perfect saying. Yeah,
1: that's, that's, that's definitely the truth. I mean, and, and the thing is like, um, so I'm working in a bank now um, and, you know, it's it kind of a struggle, the whole transition. And so my manager sat me down at one point and was like, Hey, how are you feeling? He's kind of worried about the turnover because that's, that's, that's real quantifiable dollars and cents. And I said, look, um, I'm here, you know, and yeah. as long as I'm here, uh, you got me and I'm committed to what I'm doing. I said i i can usually find purpose in just about any job that i do um so as long as you're treating me well and i believe you are we're fine you know like i'm i'm not looking to get out of it so um unfortunately in the military you can't just up and quit but you <laughs> no. can sort of you can sort of quit while you're on duty right isn't that yeah. the old? and that's uh, that's you know? the
0: worst man
1: yeah yeah so yeah that's a challenge man and and i think that's a motivation thing and you know, you, When you have these generational differences in people, well, the values are generationally different as well. And so that, yeah. that's a big challenge, I think, in getting these kids that, that uh, come off the street and you're forced to lead them and instill in them trust and conviction and purpose and the sort of trappings of good followership. And if you don't know how to connect with them or build a relationship, build that – build the conduit of trust, so to speak, so that you can convey that message – man you're you're dead in the water, yeah you know I think there's a famous quote by Colin Powell. he said you know when when your troops start uh stop bringing the problems to you you're 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 no longer leading them or something like that it's, yeah uh, you know it's a pretty good quote, so
0: yeah, they pretty much lose all faith in you yeah, yeah that's yeah. one of the worst things to have if you're a leader mhm yeah, yeah, nobody's no longer looking to you that's that's rough
1: yeah yeah but, there's a there's a there's a metaphor about trust being a bank. You know and and every day you're making daily deposits of trust into that bank, yep, and at some point um you're gonna have to put some of that trust on credit because maybe you don't have all the answers, but you have a gut feeling that this is the way you need to move, yeah, and so you're gonna take out a loan on that trust so that you can move the organization or a team forward, and you better hope that you've had a good credit score
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you better that's hope for sure, that you're man.
1: that you're uh that you're pretty credible and all that but
0: yeah at the end of the day uh leaders have to make decisions um dude that's not so you were an aircraft controller when or air traffic controller whenever uh you got out
1: yeah 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 and then before that i was a flying uh flying mechanic they call them flying crew chiefs on c5s and c17s
0: all right so you did a lot of flying huh
1: yeah. Well, um, man, that was such, that was such a rewarding job. That, that job took me, you know, between the two aircraft. Um, a little over a thousand hours of flying and, um, it's about, uh, I went to over 50 countries, man. So Dang. that was, that was pretty exciting and it's a, it's a tough job too. It's tougher on the C-5 because it's older, you know, it's a 1960s platform upgraded to like a 1980s platform. <laughs> um, and they modernized it a bit in the 2000s with the with the Ant Mod, uh, but man, it was it was a workhorse. And oftentimes, you're flying as like a lone flying mechanic. Yeah. Uh, so you were the one responsible for making that making that uh, 800,000 pound aircraft fly. Well, Holy! My, I did not know when that it's fully weighed. Yeah. So yeah, it's I all think on it's,
0: you. You can't turn to anybody for questions or anything like that.
1: Yeah, and and I, and the actual numbers escape you know, and I think that wartime takeoff weight was like nine hundred and sixty thousand pounds. Don't quote me on that. And I think with the new engines and the upgrades it got up to a million yeah. during war. Um but yeah it's it's a, it's a big big plane, man. Real big plane. So but it's a Cadillac. It sleeps great. <laughs> but breaks a lot. You know when you're when you've got nine hundred thousand pounds on your back, uh every every landing's a hard landing. So yeah. yeah. A lot of maintenance. A lot of maintenance on that plane. But it made you a better made you a better mechanic as tough things do, you know, they kind of mold you and shape you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the more practice you get, the better you're going to
1: be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: So when you landed in a uh, nice countries that, uh, the plane conveniently break, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, everyone talks about that. I, I, again, that's, I got an integrity problem with that. I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one story where, um, I, I purposely, yeah. I said, "Look, um, we're not going to break here. We're going to break in, in in Greece. We were flying through Ethiopia, and we're in uh, Addis Ababa, the capital. And we were doing runs to these these small airports, you know, delivering uh, Global Hawks. Yeah. And <laughs> it's funny. So every airport has what's called notams. They're notices to airmen, and basically just informational tips about the, you know, about the navigational aids or uh, just things pilots need to know when they're flying in, into these airports. And no lie, the NOTAM for one of these airports was uh, recommend overflying the runway due to hippopotamuses, uh, <laughs> like lounging around or laying around there. So, you know, we did that. And then when we make that approach, it was Ethiopian military who came out on Jeeps with, with guns and they would drive the runway and shoot on the boundaries because they were trying to drive the baboons away. And oh. there were just like these like swaths of baboons just kind of running all. All sorts of different directions, but when we landed in Ethiopia for our, uh, for our first run from Greece to pick up our cargo, I uh, did a walk around, and there was a tire that was that was pretty close to being worn in. Uh, and I told the pilot, I said, "Listen, um, trust me on this. Y'all don't need to do a walk around. I'm going to take care of the walk around uh, until we get back to Greece. There's a tire that's pretty close. Uh, I'm confident about it. You know, we're not carrying a bunch of weight." So we're going to break in Greece. You know, it, it, it's too much of a logistic problem with diplomatic clearances and whatnot in order to get a maintenance team in there to deliver me a tire because you can't just go down the street in Ethiopia and find an aircraft tire, which <laughs> yeah. which, which for the C-17, the wheels are made by uh, Bugatti, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they actually say uh, Bugatti Manufacturing Company on the, on the rim. So, Fancy. so we end up doing a few runs and then we get back to Greece. And, you know, sure enough, we checked the tires, definitely bad. It was probably bad, you know, maybe a landing or two ago. And so we got to chill in Greece and, you know, it was a fantastic time and brought some some maintainers out and helped me change the tire and brought the tire out there. So, yeah, easy stuff, man. (laughs) Another day At the office.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A good day. Uh, So out of those 50 countries, uh, did you get to enjoy most of them?
1: Most of them. uh, Some, some weird stories. So we had to land in, we had to land in Kiev, Ukraine one time, Hmm. and we picked up, uh, we picked up a, like a Connex, but it took forever. So we landed in, in a C-5. We had to bring a finance courier and they had to pay $80,000 to the Ukrainian military in order for us to land there. So there was a senior airman carrying (laughs) $80,000 in this, like in this pouch, you know, something that you would take to uh, drop off, like a business would take to drop off at the night drop at a bank. Yeah. And he goes and they take all of our passports and no lie, they're gone for three hours. Oh, they take the money, they take the passports, gone for three hours and we couldn't get a hold of anybody. So we're just sitting there on the ramp in Kiev and just kind of waiting around. And, and eventually three hours later, the. The uh, military officials come back and they give us our our passports back. They were stamped, and the uh, you know the cargo was out, but it was it was just a Connex, and you know they they gave a manifest to the uh, loadmasters, and we packed up and we did a, a double aerial refuel back to Nevada, and we went to the uh, Tonopah Test Range. I think some people refer to, to that as the Area 52 location. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So it's man, you get out of. So it's a single runway and it's just a single small apron. You know, it's where the planes would, you know, kind of taxi out to. Yeah. And there was a gate separating the runway from from the uh uh sorry, from the apron. And when we pulled in we had to make a one eighty, we couldn't shut the engines down because we were told we were not allowed to break there. So we ended up offloading the cargo, and man, I'm telling you, there's hangers as far as you can see. It's nothing but hangers. They're all closed, and they get the cargo off. We take off. No big deal. Really weird experience. Yeah. But um, so I, I, I've experienced a lot of places. Like you go to some places like Karachi, Pakistan after the flood. Yeah. We were delivering U.S. aid, and you can't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you're not you're not driving around in Pakistan as an American. That's yeah, that's that's for not. sure. Yeah. But, you know, seen a lot of cool places, man, Um, did uh, uh, Rio de Janeiro in uh, Brazil. That was that was fun. That was that was a presidential support mission. And it was actually after the the U.S. Secret Service uh, team got caught buying buying prostitutes.
0: Oh, shit. I I, I don't remember that.
1: Yeah. And so after that, air crews were had to fly under General Order one. So oh, that's no why alcohol. You could, you, yeah, you couldn't do any of that stuff. So, so you know, you were confined to a location. So, so we were in Rio, and we couldn't leave the hotel. You know, which was which was frustrating. Yeah. So I didn't really get to go out and, and visit during that. Luckily, that didn't last too long.
0: Was but, uh, the hotel at least nice?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Air Force. I mean, they 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 put you up nice, but you, you just get a lot for your money. Yeah. Whenever you're you're in Brazil, so there's a. There's a civilian I used to work with um, at Moody. His plan is through re- is is to retire out there um, in Medellin. I, I think he visits like once a year. Like he's got a buddy who lives off his Air Force retirement and lives in like a penthouse as a maid. You know, doesn't <laughs> doesn't work. He just does that. Lives off of like twenty twenty something hundred dollars a month. Yeah. And you know, seems to go pretty far. Oh yeah. Pretty rad.
0: Dude, I'm from uh from El Paso, and uh, so. Border town. Hell yeah! So, uh, before I joined the air force, I worked in this warehouse, and you know, half the people working there lived in Juarez, so they would commute every day from Juarez over to this warehouse work and then go back home. But their money uh, at the time, pulling like five hundred bucks every two weeks, which is not Mm much, Uh, but it goes a long way across the border. Oh yeah! So, so they were living
1: good. Yeah, that's. People don't realize, man, that's poverty down there. Yeah. That is poverty. Yeah. You know, and, and they're kind of, you know, they've got a non, not like a barely functioning government. It's dysfunctional. It's infested with cartel members and cartel money.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, I mean, even the, even the nice spots, uh, the cartels are investing in like vacation places as a way to launder and uh, legitimize their businesses. Like, there's, have you seen the, sh- the uh, show of The Ozarks?
0: Yes. Love that show.
1: There's there's truth in all that, man. Oh like, yeah, they're, yeah, They're trying to legitimize a portion of their money, and they have they so damn much, but you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was listening to Joe Rogan podcast, and he brought on this dude who. So he used to work uh, down in Mexico with the police, uh, and so he was telling all these stories about how crooked they are and how they work with the the cartel. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, he was saying it's like the new generation of cartel members are growing up in the United States, so. It won't be a surprise to see all that shift into the United States because all their kids that they had and grew up in the United States, they're becoming adults and they're going to take over. But they're here in the States. So I don't know. It, yeah, it wouldn't be surprising to see a bleed over from Mexico into the United States uh, as far as like uh, the cartel war and, and their drugs and all that. Which Bro, is-
1: like it's it, it would be outrageous, you know, but yeah, I I mean, I think that's. I think that's a fair point.
0: Yeah, scary to think about, man. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, what what do you do about it? You know?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, just, what, what? I don't know. I, I, that's that thought. Just uh, it blows my mind. Makes me nervous. Uh, yeah, because I don't know. Like, if have ever got to the point that like, the way it is down in Mexico, where cartels pretty much run the place, right? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I can't imagine uh, an American like that
1: well what what worries me about it is the influence that they tend to gain and and money talks, yeah, so you know who's to say that they don't get in bed with some politicians and
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: further legitimize some of their business so, who knows man but yeah it's 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 definitely definitely a scary thought you know I, I I guess you have to be optimistic and maybe hope that as we maybe these American kids that are growing up. Will adopt some of our principles, you know, and maybe they'll they'll steer away from it. Um, throughout history, I mean, I think as people become more more educated, they become more more egalitarian. Uh, there's some there's there's some hiccups there, you know, the Stalins, the Hitlers, but I think <laughs> I think as people do become more 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 educated, they become more um, more in pursuit of sort of equal opportunity aspects, you know. Gotcha. Um, maybe even venture into the equal outcome, you know, aspect, which, you know, is obviously a debatable position, but you know, yeah, I think, I think we'd be happy with equal opportunity. So, uh, yeah. yeah, man. So what, what do you do for your hobbies? My hobbies,
0: uh, yeah. this right here, this podcasting thing. There you go. <laughs> no, there man. Go. Uh, so for hobbies, like I read quite a bit, um, retain okay. maybe 1% of it. Uh, <laughs> Not bad. yeah, yeah, do some journaling, uh you know movies, huge movie buff man, and uh working out uh lately, do we just bought a house, uh so we've been busting our ass, uh like redoing the backyard and the front yard, yeah, uh, so, i
1: hate yard work man
0: uh, <laughs> i I hate it, but I love it, and uh, it's super rewarding, yeah, no so, yeah i yeah. I grew up doing a, a shit little yard work uh out in El Paso. So we didn't have much grass, a lot of rocks and dirt. So we were out there Ah. raking and, and sweeping rocks and shoveling dirt and picking weeds. Uh, It was a pain in the ass, but it kind of takes me back to that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, uh, so my dad owned, owned a long-term service and um, let me tell you something. If I were to give advice to somebody about this, I would say do not go into business with family, you know, but uh, I I worked for my dad (laughs) And inevitably, like it sounded like a sweet deal, you know, you're going to work for me, you're going to be an employee, and that's it. But that wasn't it. It was like, yeah. you know, if I did if I did a bad job, I was like, well, you know, you, you know, you're a bit lazy. You know, you don't always clean up your room either. You know, so it's like, oh, come on, man, I'm just, you know, I'm just <laughs> weed eating and edging. You know, I'm talking about, you know, filling my underwear drawer here. So,
0: yeah, yeah, family uh, and business, it's uh, that's tough it's to navigate. Tough, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, not Super recommended. Dry.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think it's great for for people who can do it, but I also don't buy it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I was like, y'all got y'all got some demons that y'all are just being being, you know, pacifist about. <laughs> yep.
0: I mean, shit, known family, a, a couple of bucks, and I've seen people uh, like not split up, but you know, just hold a grudge over a few dollars. Uh, I can only imagine over a
1: business. And you know, sometimes business decisions just need to be rational decisions. And, and I think, you know, it's this weird balance. And again, you can go back to leadership on this. I mean, cause at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's any business is a people business. Yeah. There's, um, I believe his name is Bob, Bob Keller. He was the CEO of Southwest and he was, he was famous for the way that he ran his business as an employee first business. So he would, uh, he talks about you know all these all these different business schools, and he was once asked whos who's more important your uh, customers or your shareholders and he said neither it's my employees yep. he said if my employees are happy and taken care of or taken care of, they'll be happy if they're happy, then they're happy to sell what I want them to sell, and if they're happy to sell what I want them to sell, they'll be happy with customers and if the customers are happy that they're being treated right, they're going to buy my product and 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 if the customers buy my product, the shareholders win. It yep. starts with the people of your of your uh, organization. And I believe that, man. I think, you know, I think you're the military is slow to get there. Um, but I think they're shifting towards that realization is that you have to be a people first organization, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree with you a hundred percent, man. Um, with the military, man, there's so much change. Uh, so often uh, a lot of that falls off. Um, like commanders switch well, out we- every two years.
1: Uh, yeah, I kind of wish that would change, but you know, the flip side of that is that if you have a bad commander, you're stuck with him for longer, him (laughs) or her, you know?
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it could work either way. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then again, I'd say this too. I don't think that the military properly incentivizes those things that make people work better together to be a better team. You know, you can look at the performance reports. I mean, how quantifiable is your ability to reduce or not have conflicts with your with your coworkers? Yeah. You know, how do you quantify how well you're able to take a leader's vision and implement it and execute a plan? how do you quantify those things? How do you quantify how, how you're just able to be a better team member? How do you quantify how you're able to be a better wingman? How do you quantify how you're able to run an organization that doesn't drive people into suicidal depression? (laughs) You know, how do you quantify that by virtue of what? You know, and, and, and the performance report, I mean, it's obviously a tough thing. And again, I'm speaking from the, from the perspective of, of the Air Force, but, um, you know, I think you, how's the old saying go? You, you measure what you value and you value what you measure. Well, if I'm looking at the performance report, man, the organics don't seem to have value. Yeah. Because even the way that we write them, you know, it's, it's all about data points. It's all about data points. Yeah. You know, we used to get, we used to get irritated with the, with the Intel flights because like you've got top cover over everything, you know, you guys influence so many things. (laughs) So like y'all, y'all are winning all the awards. Like, come on, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Literally every bullet could end with stopped ISIS.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's your impact. Well, geez, I, you know, I guess I, you know, I kept two, two aircraft three miles apart. Like, (laughs) you know, know, yay me. So, uh, yes, it's, it's tough, man. And, and, uh, you know so I did a, I did a paper on uh, on the it was it was a research project on on the force distribution system and so it, it kind of came about in notoriety by Jack Welch um, he was the CEO of General Electric and it was a great thing to stop the sort of inflative patterns of performance reporting that plagued say the Air Force uh, yeah. up until it's up until its inception. But a key difference, and this is my gripe about it well first of all it's not a good long term solution it's great to restabilize, but it's a terrible long term solution most most companies actually have have gone away from it It was big in the nineties uh, but but again, it ran into kind of the problems that I think that that the that the air force gets into um, but so basically, the bottom ten percent of employees in the company were cut every year there was a mandatory ten percent attrition rate of employees. Now, mathematically speaking, that's not a sustainable (laughs) policy, you know, because you (laughs) eventually just dwindle your labor pool every single year because you fired people, you know, Yeah. but it's great for incentivizing people to be in this top, you know, couple strats, right? Right. But without that bottom factor for you to drive away from, like, it's one thing to drive towards something, but you also have to drive away from something. And if you don't have that then you create a, a, a situation where you're deeming 15% promotable and you're allowing 85% to just lie there
0: hmm.
1: and not do anything. So there's no disincentive to being, you know, a sort of a lazy person a run-of-the-mill person who just comes to work. And there's a role for those people,
0: yeah. you know,
1: um, but you can just come to work and be a drone and that's acceptable. So, so, so there's no real incentive to get away from, the behavior uh, that uh, you know you would like to get away from. So I think that I think the Air Force needs to transition out of force distribution into something maybe a little more aggressive like that, but certainly yeah. something that that uh, allows you to quantify the behaviors that you need to make an organization successful.
0: Do you think um, that might have been part of the mindset whenever they changed? Uh, so the retirement uh, requirement. So what was it? Staff. Uh, couldn't retire anymore. They they only had 12 years or something like that. Or well, I years. think...
1: What do you mean by that? So, when you say...
0: Yeah, so once you made staff sergeant, um, if you didn't make tech, you had to get out at 15 years as opposed- mm-hmm. in the past. And, and now it went back to it. Now, they, you could retire at 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they changed it back to 15, do you think uh, that was part of the mindset? Kind of make these guys... Bust their ass so they can eventually promote and not just be well, a drone at work.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. So i I think that's part of it. I, so i I heard for many years, and it wasn't until you know, God bless him, Chief Chief Wright came in and and and, and man, the stud, General Goldring came in and talked some sense in the service. But so I think, well, what I've always heard about the military is that you're in a system that that demands that you promote and continue to move right. Yeah. The problem with that is is okay, so we can accept that that's a policy fine, right? But let's talk about what you give up. Okay? You're removing experience. Yeah. You know, that's that's the problem with like PCS and 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 you know, PCSing so often and I think that that probably contributes to to the Air Force making assignments longer because they're trying to keep more experience there longer. And of course, you couple that with say the joint force model where where we add civilians in there to create that bridge of continuity, but Government employees are government employees, and they come with their own set of problems. But so I <laughs> yeah. think, I think getting getting that down to fifteen years, I you got to ask what the incentive is, and the incentive is to say, look, this is it. You're at fifteen years. That was at twelve years. I'd give up eight more years, which I'm actually in the reserves still, but um, I had to give up eight years until I could retire, right? And that's a big thing to give up. But somebody who's who kind of doesn't have anything else other than like maybe just works on planes. That's not a that's not a very sexy job market on the outside there's a few jobs but they're very niche and and so like you're kind of just stuck doing this um but uh sorry yeah um so i think i i think what what you're doing when you're creating that policy is that um you're forcing people to promote but you're also forcing lazy people to kind of beg for the promotion, guilt people in so people get promoted. And I'm sure you've seen this. People get promotion because, well, they really need it or they need a family yeah. or, or something like that. So, so we can just appease this whole situation by saying, look, you're, you're a good enough technician. You know, like you're at least a run-of-the-mill guy. I mean you can manage like – like you peak at managing about four people in a shop, okay, but, that, but there's a role for you right there i know that i can get you to manage properly for people in a shop so why can't i use you for 20 years doing that what's wrong with that you know and i think that's that's why they shifted towards towards that mindset And of course people wanted that too because they're trying to get away from promotion testing which you know i've got an opinion about that as well but (laughs) um you know yeah so moving towards towards the 15 yeah i think it's I think they're just trying to get people to sort of a trip through the ranks. And I think that might be overvalued. Obviously experience is important, but you know, let's face it. Some people just shouldn't, shouldn't manage. They shouldn't lead. Yep. And there's yeah, nothing wrong with that. Agreeing. You know, why not a 20 year drone? That's just really good at fixing things. You know, somebody who's experienced, it. God, give me a 20 year person who works finance. That's the person I want to call all the time. You know?
0: <laughs> good luck.
1: I know. Right. <laughs> you know, nothing against them. I know they got a tough job, you know, but, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes stereotypes are accurate, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> lie, man. Uh, I'm pretty sure they, they have some things to go through, but no, oh, they can piss you off pretty quick. Yeah.
1: Or think about another job. Um, so you ever heard of a 9S100? Yes. A technical application specialist?
0: The scientist the of the with, Air Force. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Imagine a guy that has 20 years doing that. Come yeah. on now. Yeah, yeah I, talks about... I've spoken but,
0: to a couple of them, and uh, <clears throat> he was saying that they're... Their retention rate is pretty high, surprisingly.
1: Man, I think you gotta be a special dude to uh do that job.
0: Yes, you do. Um guys I, are crazy. I looked smart. into
1: it when I was coming in, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh I I decided not to because because I hear you spend a lot of time in a bunker, but fast <laughs> forward fast forward six and a half years and and I'm in a, you know, blacked out radar room staring at a LED screen talking to dots, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so, so you did six years uh, as a flying mechanic, and then you you train you retrained into uh, air traffic control.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Tough job, man. Yeah, um, it's it was fun. I mean, uh, you know, I, I I still think there might be a future in that for me. Kind of just trying trying something new right now, but uh, it was it's not. I personally don't think. It's as stressful as as uh, people make it out to be, but I also don't work at LaGuardia or you know New York Center. Yeah. So, so I was about stage. to ask
0: uh, with air traffic oh, control. I I might be wrong with this, but they're supposed to have some of the highest suicide rates because the job is so stressful. Is there any you truth know, to that?
1: I've I've heard that too. Uh, I think it's on the list, but it bounces on and off. I mean, you know, anything that's stressful, I think you, you, you run that risk and stress also couples with, you know, depression and all sorts of other things. So yeah. you, know, you can, you can kind of infer a lot just by the fact that people know for a fact that it's, that it's very stressful. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it wasn't no, no one day doing air traffic control is more stressful than the first mission I took, on, uh, by myself.
0: Hmm.
1: So, and and that was because it's 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 the fear of the unknown. Like I was trained as a mechanic, I was a mechanic before I was in the military. So I'm I'm a pretty sound, uh, I'm sound with mechanic principles and troubleshooting. Pretty confident dude as well. Right. And uh, so I could rest on that. And if something did come up, I think I could work my way through it. And of course, I could always call back. I had manuals that I could look into as well. But it was still just that fear of the unknown. And you have that a lot in, in air trap control, but it's such a structured thing. And if you're a good study, you know, like you can you can prepare yourself really well. You can be coachable. Um, you know, you can leave the ego at the door. Yeah. Then things kind of slow down. Um, I play a lot of basketball. And, you know, when, when you get better at basketball and reading defenses, the game slows down. Yeah. It gets a lot slower. And so the same is true in air trap control. Okay. So, but yeah, I've, I've had days that were so busy that I couldn't listen to aircraft rebacks. I'd give an instruction, be like "Flying 250, maintain 900,000, acknowledge by IDENT. And I'd go by and I'd talk to the next aircraft. So I'm telling that aircraft, you know, to fly this direction, get to this altitude and to show me that you're listening. I want you to hit a button on the transponder that flashes on my radar screen. And I know that you got the message.
0: <laughs> Just you repeating yeah. that message makes me nervous, man. <laughs> that's crazy so from when you retrain uh, into air traffic control from day one of training up until your first time operating alone how, what does that look or how long is that uh, window
1: so are you talking about the first day of tech school
0: yeah so how long is that so, process
1: it's it's pretty long man so what, you, what you're required to do in the military so it was so, tech school is four months at Keesler, and here, here's some here's some data that, that can kind of put some things in into perspective. And that was data six years old. I'm told it's still pretty accurate, but the washout rate in air traffic control is pretty high. Yeah. So let's say out of a class of what, 24 people, right? 24 people start on day one. Uh, 40% of those will wash out. They will not make it through. Yeah. So 40% washout. So so you're down to you're down to what, uh, 14? you know, about, about 14. So out of those 107% will face washbacks where they repeat a block and there's five blocks. And so that factors in people that wash back more than once. And you can only wash back, um, twice. And I think the commandant has to give you, uh, has to interview and determine if you can go back for a third attempt and that's per block, if I'm not mistaken. But out of those 14 that graduate and make it through the course, seven of them will wash out at their first base, oh, right? And yeah. then of those seven, you can wash out at any time in your career because you're required to get rated at every location that you go to, which means you have to learn the airspace, learn the aircraft heights. You have to learn the procedures, and you have to be qualified to work. Like you can't manage a facility without well, – you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to manage a facility without being qualified at that at that location because you're writing policy yeah. there air track control is one of the few jobs in the military where your operating instruction is authored and pinned, um, signed by an enlisted member. Nice. Not a, not an officer. So there's a lot of responsibility in that. Yeah. But if you look at the data in that, like just at your first base, you're looking at like 67% washout rate. Yeah. You know? So it's, 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 it's pretty tough, but so I went through as an NCO And so I stayed off base and it was back home. So the wife came back home. She stayed with her parents and I I told her, like, I can't, like, I can't see you during the week. I had a mandatory two hour study time that I had to be at, at the tech school, like at the dorms with the tech schoolers. And they have like a training room that has simulators and whatnot. And I had to do that with my class every day for two hours. That was mandatory.
0: Hmm.
1: So I had to drive on base to do that. So four months of that. And then I get to my first duty station, and one of the things you have when you have like high washout rates uh, in, in career fields, and this is true for your, any career field, being a PJ, whatever, if it's a, a, a high-cost barrier to entry, you end up developing a sort of tribalism within there because you're not one of us yet. Yeah. You haven't proven that you can do it, and boy, did that run deep in ATC. And don't take my word for it. If you know any any air traffic control controller, or if anyone is listening to this, they're nodding their heads like, their, their heads, like "Absolutely." <laughs> no one really prepared me for that, right? Yeah. So I come in like when I went from c 5s to C17s. I walked in as an NCO. You're a mechanic. I just have to learn the airframe, but I know about Air Force stuff. I know the Air Force perspective. I can manage and lead people, right? Yeah. Well. Not an air traffic control. There were civilians in there that, you know, retired chiefs, and they would they would flat out say like, "You're just an A1C. You don't you don't have an opinion yet." Like I, <laughs> I'd, I'd be told that, and it's it's a tough thing, you know, because at the same time it's like, well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm supervising people, you know, like yeah. I'm I'm in, I'm responsible for things, in charge of things, so I had to develop um, like another skill set in that. But you know, we we can talk about that later. Um, but so the process, I was rated from the day I got there, I think, I think like 14 months later. So, and that's, that's about average, you know, um, but, uh, well, I say I was fully qualified, I think, in in, in about 14 months. Um, but I was qualified to work on my own, I think in about a year, I think about the year mark. Okay. So.
0: Damn, that's a long time. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And so as a, as a radar controller, uh, I so I think we talked about eleven different airports, uh so military, civilian airports, and you know, you kinda have to make it all all work out. You know, we had aerial refueling tracks, we had uh military operations areas where people will go and they'll do um strikes on, you know, search to ground stuff, they'll do just uh dog fighting, that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. A lot of a lot of diversity. Do you there, guys
0: so. uh only get stationed in, in uh military bases or do you all have positions at like uh, commercial airports?
1: I don't think we have positions at commercial airports. Um, we might liaise. Yeah. I'm not aware of any, maybe Charleston because Charleston, that base joint base Charleston, it's actually a civilian airport that the base shares the runway with. And I think those are all civilian controllers, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's a military liaison that either works with them or closely with them, you know,
0: yeah
1: so yeah man it's crazy stuff crazy yeah stuff, man. But, like i'm getting yeah,
0: stressed out just listening to you describe all that i, I don't know how Not... you did it man <laughs>
1: yeah i don't know i kind of black out sometimes <laughs> <laughs> what you happened a... the day's
0: over oh shit yeah
1: yeah you get a really strong <laughs> a really strong recovery so i had this when aircraft get get too close you you get a collision alert on the uh uh on the system. And so it beeps at you. How close is beeps. that? What's that?
0: How close is that? Like when that goes off?
1: Well, I don't know the actual numbers, but basically if you're less than about three miles and, and the computer can actually predict uh kind of flight paths yeah. based on what they're doing currently. Um, so you can kind of, you know, they'll, it'll, it'll let you know. I don't know how it works, man. It, it's, you know, magic to me, but
0: yeah, um, pure fucking magic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah.
1: So I was uh, I was being watched, uh, you know, during during training, and one of these civilians was like, "Are you gonna silence that?" I said, "Silence what?" And this thing's just been going off for like eight minutes apparently, and people are looking at me oh, shit. in the in the radar room. But they were dogfighting in a mo, so they're going to get close. Like everything's fine. We don't actually control that. You yeah. Know, that 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 falls that falls under this thing called MARSA. Military assumes the responsibility for the separation of aircraft. Yeah. Oh, long acronym. So when they <laughs> declare MARSA, uh, our job's done. So what they do normally, what controllers do when they go in these MOAs, they actually silence those those collision alerts. But I'm just they they don't trigger me, I guess. You know, I'm looking at other things, doing other things.
0: But yeah, you have so much yeah. going on that you just didn't notice it.
1: Well, it's it's funny because because the guy training was like, you know, that's a problem, right? And I was like, <laughs> not if you don't get them close enough. <laughs> you know, but that's that's the kind of cocky type A mentality you you, you know you really had to have. Yeah. You know, when you're training um well really just just to be an air traffic controller in general the problem is that that kind of bleeds into other things you know sort of cockiness yes i know
0: exactly what you're talking about man (laughs) um so man so to transition back into civilian life after doing a job like that man how's that going
1: it's different man it's it's really different i find myself um The way that I solve problems, and again, I've, I've got kind of this. I'm glad I went through what I went through at at Moody when I had to when I kind of went into air traffic control, yeah. And I had to relearn some of those skills, some of those interpersonal skills, to kind of make me give me the influence that was necessary in order for me to do my job effectively, um, manage people, so on and so forth. And so I'm learning. I can take some of those. Some of those behaviors, some of those skill sets, and modify them. And I'm not fully qualified at, at at, my position in the bank as of yet, but it's tough because I don't know how to solve some, some of these civilian problems. Like, you know, because you've got like an HR department now. Yeah. You know, like in the military, like your HR department is like your first shirt, you know? Yeah. So, so like, you know, there's a, I was, I was working at Branch this this one time and this this manager's a fantastic dude. Great dude, right? Yeah. Um, but it's clear that there's this sort of counterculture within the organization within that particular bank where they they just kind of gave him attitude all the time. And it was just such an irritating thing cuz he did s- such good work. Yeah. But it's like they didn't they didn't trust him. They may not have liked him. And so he's he's coming up with with these ideas that are designed that are predicated on him listening to their problems and it solves the problem. It's not easy, but you know it's part of the unfreezing in the change process, right? And so he's trying to unfreeze, and they're just they're just like giving them attitude, and and it's like okay, so like should I step in and say, look, you guys are being kind of ungrateful, you're not appreciating what's 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 going on here, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's it's weird man cuz i i don't know how to approach those those situations and at the end of the day this was this was that that manager's branch and yeah you know and it's it's one of those things where i kind of want to pull them aside and have a conversation say look man this is this is this is what i see like what are your thoughts on it um but i don't know if it's if it's appropriate for me to do that honestly yeah. um yeah
0: yeah still' trying to that. fill out the the entire situation, yeah yeah Because yeah. yeah. it could completely backfire and he'll get pissed off, like, what the fuck are you yeah, and
1: yeah. and that kind of happened a bit at at moody, and luckily, I was able to learn that lesson, yeah yeah,
0: but uh, listen man we're uh we're coming up on an hour already, okay, uh, so. I think uh we can wrap it up here. Uh okay. dude, it was it was awesome talking to you and, and having you on. Um you were so you're my second guest, but you're the first one uh doing an interview over the telephone and I think it's it's worked out. Awesome.
1: Oh, good, good. Yeah, man. I, yeah. I know we we're kind of worried about that, so I'm, I'm definitely glad it, it, it worked out. Man, I'm, I, I really appreciate you letting me come, come on here and just ramble. So,
0: <laughs> oh no, it's awesome, man. These are the best. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> you coming on and, and, and sharing what you got. Uh, definitely would love to have you back, man. If you're up for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. We, we can, uh, you know, we can, we can talk about some more things or dive, dive deeper. Um, you know, like I said, I, kind of, I like to tell people my my hobbies have hobbies so yeah yeah um, I can I can speak on a bunch of different things but
0: yeah <laughs> let me know uh, yeah definitely man uh you got anything you want to plug or promote or anything like that no <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm just i'm just, just checking i'm just dude i'm just, a <laughs> just dude. A dude man <laughs> <laughs> all right man I appreciate well appreciate you though it was good having you on and uh i guess uh we'll see everybody later all right see you later man